0: Welcome to today's PPG podcast episode. This is Milena Demartini, and I want to thank you for listening today to continue furthering your education to improve dogs lives. I've been working with canine separation anxiety for over two decades. And in that time, I've seen tremendous advancements in our field, which is so exciting to witness. As a PPG corporate partner, I'd like to take this moment to invite you to further your knowledge about separation-related behaviors. Not only do I have many low-cost and no-cost resources available to help you learn more about this debilitating issue, but I also offer a master's-level program for experienced dog professionals interested in honing their skills to work with dogs suffering from separation anxiety. If you're interested in becoming one of the foremost practitioners who work with alone-time behavior problems, I welcome you to apply to our intensive online program to become a Certified Separation Anxiety Trainer, or as we fondly refer to them, CSATs. There is no better time to up your skill set and expertise than right now. I look forward to the potential of including you in our esteemed Separation Anxiety Certification Program, so please consider applying through my website at
1: So hello everyone. Welcome to our monthly chat and chuckle. We have Tabitha here today joining us to <laughs> talk about cooperative care and Tabitha always has so much to say about everything and she's going to just blow your minds with all of her knowledge. No
2: pressure. So <laughs> yeah,
1: If you have questions for Tabitha or for any of us and you're watching, feel free to post them in the comments. Joe's going to be monitoring these comments. Um, Otherwise, we will just hang out and talk together about about cooperative care for cats. So hi, Tabitha. Would you like to introduce yourself to all of these people who are watching?
3: Because nobody knows who you are. (laughs)
2: I am drinking tea cause I'm a little sick. I'm negative for COVID, everything's fine. Um, but in case you're like, why is she being rude and stopping to drink? That's why uh, context is important. But I'm Tabitha, mm-hmm. uh, my name, yeah, my name, see, I'm on medicine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I own Chirps and Chatter Cat and Dog Behavior Consulting in Cleveland, Ohio. I am a registered vet tech. I'm elite, fear-free and low stress handling certified. I'm a certified cat behavior consultant. I'm a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner, and I'm a VTS in behavior, it just means I'm a veterinary technician that is boarded in behavior. So as you can imagine, I really like learning and I really like behavior and I really like cats. Um, so I am here to talk all about cooperative care and cats.
3: Okay, so I've got the first question for you, oh, I'm well, sorry, because you are getting ready, but So I think like for most of our clients, right? And I see like, this is the the hurdle. We get a case when we've got anxiety that is going through the roof and veterinarian team together with you and the client and everyone decides, okay, it's time for meds. And now it's like, cat meds. He's already anxious. How do we do it?
2: Challenge. So you can medication train your cat. Uh, that is something I offer consulting services and I work with so many amazing clients, veterinarians, veterinary behaviorists who then reach out for me to help with that stuff because you are the best veterinarian ever and you find an amazing appropriate diagnosis, but then the caregiver can't give the meds. That is a pretty big problem in vet med. And also like she mentioned, you care about your cat and let's say it's an anti-anxiety med. So maybe your cat is exhibiting signs of generalized anxiety and then the process of giving them the meds (laughs) causes more anxiety to the point where in some cases that I've worked, by the time the caregiver reaches out to me or finds me, the cat has actually generalized the anxiety associated with receiving the meds to the caregivers and now self-segregate themselves. So it can be pretty intense um, and and challenging. The good news is there are things you can do to help. So you can do preventative medication training, which we love prevention. As humans, we're conditioned to be reactive, so be kind to yourselves. Um, But even if you are in the process of giving your cats meds, there are very small things that you can do that can make a difference. So I offer... Tons of videos and resources on chirps and chatters, Facebook and Instagram, where you can go and find lots of tips and tricks and videos because we only have so much time. But a few things I would recommend just right off the bat is consider an approach. So the way you approach your cat is bigger than you think, right? So ideally we shouldn't be surprising our cat or going to grab your cat. And essentially you should lure your cat. So find a toy or treat that they really like you can even do a treat trail and for example if you have to give them an oral medication and you're pilling them it's important for them to be at a level that you can actually reach them this sounds like common sense but i see so many caregivers where the cats on the ground and they're like and they can't appropriately medicate so it's 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 a mess So having the cat at a higher space that is comfortable to your waistline so you can medicate them appropriately and approach them from the side makes a big deal. And most cats prefer to be on high places anyways. So again, I'm a huge fan of luring the cat out or if the cat is at rest, maybe approaching the cat from the side, soliciting some petting first and then medicating them, right? Versus what we usually do is, shit, this sucks. I have to like get you, I'm tense, I'm stressed. So take a deep breath. And then we do this life and then we just finish. It can make a really big deal to approach from the side and essentially pet, interact with your cat, maybe give them a treat, maybe give them some face pets. You know how they like to be petted and then medicate. And yes, to start, they may run afterwards. You're doing the best you can in that moment, right? So what you could do afterwards is, of course, give them a treat, like churu, or do a play session. But another thing I really like in the moment right away is, especially if you're in the process of medicating and not aren't sure about medication training yet, is grab a handful of treats, and at the end, I want you to toss them against the ceiling or your floor if it's wood, because a lot of cats will be like the sound of the treats hitting the wall or the wood is reinforcing in its own right. Mm -hmm. And then they'll also eat the treats. But let's say they just run off and start chasing the treats, but don't eat. That's okay too. And let's say the third time you medicate them, you're like, they ate, that's data. You just using considered approach and pairing it with some good stuff is starting to make a difference. So those are just a few things I would start right away.
3: Excellent. So as long as you don't have like carpets everywhere and like really high ceilings, you get. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I I have carpet in my house, so I throw it against the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, cause my cat personally, I shared her story on my social media, but she, I did not medication train her. Oh, how dare myself? We're humans, everybody, um, and she needed medications abruptly due to a medical issue, so. You can see the video of me utilizing Considered Approach. She had dental pain on the one side of her mouth that I was aware of. She had a dental scheduled. So I purposely, it was a syringe medication. I medicated her on the other side, right? She was stable. She was elevated on a surface. So for example, my cat likes sitting on the counter. She's three-legged. And when I prep my puzzle toys, she will hop up there. And that was just her routine. So I was like, she already likes this place so that's where I started to medicate her and then we did the treat game and essentially I want to tell you I did all this other cool stuff but I just did that considerate approach identified a place she already liked that had she had positive associations with um worked with her like pairing it with good stuff and essentially now I say meds I also use a predictor cue so I always say the word meds before I give the meds because I think when we are communicating with our animals and letting them know, I'm a big fan of predictor cues. Um, It can help them tolerate things that are stressful. And also it just is a form of communication. So now when I say med, she comes running, it's full on cooperative care, but real talk, all I did was start with all of those techniques. And this is stuff you guys can do at home or, or as behavior consultants, even if you're not as familiar with teaching cooperative care, you can tell caregivers about considerate approach, finding reinforcers their animals like, avoiding the towel, the towel thing. <laughs> this Laura's like, gosh, Tabitha's going to go on and
3: on. So <laughs> oh, I oh, love, oh, you've, got four, you've got like 50 minutes. Okay.
2: I 14. love towel handling so much as a skill. I teach it to veterinary practices and shelters, but a lot of caregivers, because they're amazing, they go online to try to find help how to medicate their cats, which is what they should do. But unfortunately, everything is just wrapping the cat in a towel. Um, So that's another good point. Allow the cat that I always forget to mention, because to me, I just, right? Instead of like taking a towel and physically manipulating your cat into a tight, because also a tight towel hold, a burrito, a tight wrap is not relaxing. Um, It causes more stress because the animal cannot move. Cats are alive, as we all know. So it's very normal for them to maybe just want to adjust, right? So in many cases, along with considered approach, allow the cat to remain in the position they choose to remain in. So sitting or standing, and you may drape a small towel over the cat, or um, I don't have a towel in here, but I should have had a towel in here. I have this, so we're going to make it work. So. Let's say this is a towel. Um you could wrap it super loose. So it's just super loose right here. You're not scruffing the cat, right? This is all free and loose. You're utilizing it as a tool to maybe help stabilize the cat. That's very different than and you everyone out there listening who has tried to towel wrap a cat, especially without learning that skill set, which is a whole separate thing that takes
3: impossible Mm -hmm.
2: yes and you guys are trying to because you're you're like I need you to get your meds and you're trying to wrap them up in a a towel and it's just the cat's flailing and it's horrible so could you do have a towel and loosely wrap it just around their neck so it's so again you're using it as a very slight stable stabilization tool but again you're not like holding them tight but that's what a lot of people are being told to do and in many cases when we just work with the cat in front of us allow them to remain in their comfortable position cats do really well which makes sense when you think about it
1: it's hard because I think so many people don't know how to do it as a skill and they're trying to do the right thing they're trying to not scruff but they're like this doesn't work I have more stability when I scruff so like yeah, it's, it's crazy. And like Sonny in particular does not like to be wrapped in a towel at all with that of any sort, he would much rather me hold him like this because he's a snuggler and he loves when I hug him like this, but I don't know, towels are not his thing. So,
2: and that's an awesome observation. So <laughs> you recognize like that little squeeze that you did, mm-hmm. that's a type of touch he likes from you, you mm-hmm. know, that, so you could utilize that from a handling technique, or for example, let's say I have my non-slip surface, which I have one right here. It's a sparkly bath mat. They're great non-slip surfaces. Can I just have, like, I'm gonna hold the cat like this. So I have control, right? Left, right, forward, back. I'm not, this is very different. It's super cash, this is your cat. And then you have a friend, like your partner or a friend who comes up from the side and medicates them versus this, right? You could, yeah. or you could even utilize this handling and medicate them like that as well.
3: I've so, I've medicated my cat where I was just kind of I was sitting on the floor with her and she was just sitting. Mm-hmm. This is my tutorial. Uh, uh, but so she was sitting kind of in between my like my knees because that's what she liked to do she liked to come and cuddle and i just kind of placed one of my hands like because i have big hands right so i could do it so depending on your hands if you have tiny hands it probably won't work but i've placed just one hand like on just on her chest so once again the place where the cats most of the cats like to be and then i had the other hand so she was sort of kind of limited in her movement because i was very the
2: yeah, Sorry, Zimbler but it wasn't very different than restraints. Yeah, you think like which is why I don't use that yeah. word. I say handling because.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So this was just kind of holding her here. So she was st- staying, but it was nothing that was unusual for her. So utilize what like and my, with my with my advocate, my big my big boy who who had to get his fluids. Um, we just utilized cuddle time so he would come and he would snuggle in, on my lap and that was our fluid subcutaneous iv time once again no you know if i tried to like with any of my animals if i try to restrain them they're like nope i'm out of here
2: in many cases, so- we just work with the animal because again both of your cats they you both know, have very yeah. close cool relationships with, have different preferences because we all yeah. know cancer individuals. but then unfortunately, many of us are taught one restraint method for all of them, which, you know, we're doing the best we can with what we know, which is why we go to conferences and we attend chat yeah. and chuckles because we're we're learning more and thankfully, we have so many more tools. But I think, working with the cat in front of you and utilizing what your you know, your cat. So you have some benefits. Yeah. I work with, I call them stranger cats. I love them, but yeah. they, we don't have a relationship and I have to do medical things to them. Yeah. Um, and thankfully there are things to do to make that less stressful for them, but you actually have a one-up, you know, your cats, which is awesome.
1: And yeah. I think why it's so important to just in- encourage people to recognize these things at home with their cats, because like when I go to the vet with Sonny, and Sonny goes to the vet a lot because he's nineteen years old, I can tell them he doesn't like towel restraint. When you take his blood pressure, use what's the one, the Doppler where you don't have to put the alcohol or the the stuff on because he's has a big aversion to that like and just little things like that. And I think you know we do obviously, but not not the average person is going to be able to speak up or or recognize those things in their cats. So I, think- I can just, I can just decrease his stress, you know, from the get-go just by mentioning those things when he's there.
3: But I think as like behavior consultants and trainers and people who work with clients, <laughs> I think part of our work is to encourage people to advocate for the cats and say, and and kind of, hey, practice with me. Tell me. Mm-hmm. Like what will you say? Um because I mean, it's intimidating when you go to the vets. It's kind of like we rarely, we rarely advocate for ourselves when we go to the doctors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so then it's even so much harder to advocate for your cats. But but at the same time, if you don't feel comfortable with your veterinarian, to enough to be able to tell them, maybe that's also a problem.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, you mean I I, I have. Uh, I have clients where we spend, we spend months working on carrier training and medication training and everything. And then I'm like, I have to spend just as much time talking to them about how to advocate for their cat, because if we do all that and the cat walks into the carrier, willingly takes the gabapentin, the pre, the pre-vet, you know, medication willingly, and then they get to the vet and the vet is like holding them down on the table and scruffing and doing all of these things. Like. We all, like we undid so much work where the cats, you know, we made the the carrier the safe place for the cat. So like, yeah, just being able to talk about that stuff with, with clients, it's, it's such a big deal.
2: And I think a, like as someone right in both of the worlds, I think we are getting so much better in the human and animal field at addressing the importance of emotional well-being. This is true of humans too. In the human world, it has taken us a while, but we are getting there, which is awesome. And like Laura mentioned, I'm a big fan of being like, because you may identify a specific area as a caregiver or even as a behavior consultant. You may identify that a specific area when you touch on the cat causes maybe like them to like turn their head or you may not be able to necessarily describe everything that's going on, but you may say she seems a little uncomfortable when you touch this and that's going to help veterinarian staff. First off, it's going to help the veterinarian diagnose things, but also let's say as a technician, I need to give an injection. I may choose to give the injection somewhere else based on that. Um, So definitely advocating for your cat and sharing with us what your cat What sensitivities you've identified, even if you may not be sure how to explain it, you might just say, she seems sensitive here. And I might ask as a technician, what behaviors have you observed, especially as a behavior tech, uh, what behaviors have you observed to feel that way? But also, even if I don't ask that, that information is going to be really helpful. And from a behavior consultant standpoint and vet tech standpoint, I work with a lot of clients where I actually create a handling plan with their veterinarian. And we all work together because handling is a skill and everyone is at different levels. That, like when it comes to what I was taught in tech school, to which was a while ago, to what I know now, we're always improving. That's why we call it practicing vet med. So I think you should definitely be kind to your veterinary professionals, but also advocate for your cats. And a lot of veterinary professionals are more than open to having those conversations. But like Laura said, you may mention something like, my cat isn't comfortable with being scruffed because that practice may still be scruffing because they haven't had everyone on the same page and they are working towards getting away from scruffing, but that's what they were taught, right? But by you mentioning that, you're immediately not saying, don't do this, right? You're not coming off. You're just saying, I know my cat doesn't react well to scruffing. So you're starting a conversation with the veterinary staff. You're advocating for the veterinary staff because you know your cat does not like that type of handling. Yeah. Um, it's like a win-win, essentially. Yeah.
3: And I was going to say that probably like most of the veterinary staff are going to be grateful for you to tell them that because they want it to be like easy for them too, right? If it's easy for the animal, it's like, I don't know, I'm not the veterinary staff type of how you tell me. Uh, <laughs> but the animals less stressed, also
2: is- easier and safer for us. So yeah. And we want the animals to be less stressed. We may not have all of the skill sets as we start to learn. So for example, I'm sure you two do this as well. I have my caregivers bring um, their cat's favorite treats, bring a, a item that they, cause not all cats like to eat off a specific substrate. Some cats like to eat off a licky mat. Some cats like to eat off um, a carrier bottom. Some cats like to eat off a tongue depressor. So I already, I always have a m- multiple, not just reinforcers from a food play standpoint, but also ways to deliver those mm-hmm. food reinforcers. Um, so you can just start to have those, or let's say your veterinary staff takes the cat out of the carrier, like without assessing body language or shakes them out. This is happening less, but it's something that a uh, real talk everyone, 13 years ago, this is what I was taught to do. So as a caregiver, could you start to take the carrier apart, leave it closed and cover your cat with a feel away infused towel? Yes, you can. So the cat can just, you're setting your cat up and the veterinary staff, if they aren't already familiar with those skills for success. And then you're also planting seeds where they're like, the cat did so much better here. Maybe we won't pull the cat out of the carrier because also from a safety standpoint, I care about veterinary professionals, and that's not very safe for them either, but many of us are taught to do that. Yeah. So,
3: so we, we have, we don't have any questions quite yet, but we do have a few comments. So, uh, do you want me to share the comments we have? Oh, please. I can't see them. Okay. Yes. All right. Awesome. So we've got comment from Sandra saying when we were talking about the, the, the towel wraps, uh, thank you so much for talking about the towel Pareto wrap. It's so unnecessary. Uh, and Emma was saying yes to working with the cat in front of you and, uh, and she was also acknowledging how hard it is to say to the uh, back to the vets as well. I'm assuming that as in what to do with the animal. What kind of. And
2: thing. I loved your what you mentioned where you kind of role play with the client because sometimes the veterinary staff is more than open to talking but the caregiver isn't as like, for example, I teach handling, it is my life. <laughs> like handling a cooperative care is my life and I love it. And I nerd out and I have takes that other people have never heard of because I'm really critically thinking about handling and treating it as a skill, but I'm very confident, right? When it comes to human medicine and I go to the doctor, I have my, Cause I know I have my questions out. Sometimes I practice those cause I'm very extroverted and confident, And I have a background in veterinary medicine, which can transfer over somewhat. And then I leave and I'm like, shit, I didn't ask that question or that question. So it's not that the doctor wasn't open to having that conversation with me. I felt not confident. So I love the like role-playing. I'm a huge fan of writing down your questions for the veterinary staff and writing down Data. So like, if your cat is vomiting, list the frequency, um, because if your cat's pooping, take a fecal score with the fecal Purina score. I mean, there's so many things that I can teach caregivers to do to help veterinary staff, but also help them feel more comfortable having those conversations, even when the veterinary staff is more than open. But if you're introverted or unsure, again, it's I'm a extroverted. situation, I, right? Yeah, it can be. It's a huge stress. Awkward. And you're already real talk. You might be panicking about your animal and be over. Yes. Which is why I love writing that stuff ahead of time, because let's say you go to the vet and you're worried about your cat, you're over threshold. So you can't think or focus. You have things listed. So you're more likely to remember to share with the veterinarian, because again, when our animals are sick, we love them. Understandably, we cannot think or focus or remember. Sometimes we can't even remember what we're feeding them. And it's not because you aren't awesome, because you're like, I'm really worried about my cat right now.
3: I mean, I know that my trainer brain just goes out of the window as soon yes. as I step in the vet's office with my animals, right? It's like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no fucking clue. There's like zero what, corporate care? I have no idea, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Like as soon as, as soon as it is about my, uh, my own personal animal, I just, I just, I'm a mess
2: and I'm like, I'm me, you know, I'm a vet tech and I'm a full-on me- Like when I, another thing, if you're scheduling a, a appointment for your cat, most of us, like if you're your vet, you might be seeing your vet twice a year, or you may be seeing your vet, you know, five times a year, depending on what's going on. Um, if you have a senior cat chronic medical issues, but I'll be honest with you. I don't schedule clients for two to three hours after my, so I don't make like, you're not going to the vet every day. In most contexts, some clients are only seeing the vet twice a year, which is great. So realistically don't plan something right after it, because if you're, even if you know, handling as a skill and fear-free and cooperative care and considered approach, you're going to move faster. You're going to be taking those turns harder. So I think even like for me personally, I don't schedule. I know I have control of my schedule and not everyone can. I don't schedule anything. Um, I don't I schedule
3: anything on the day stressed my dogs visit. Out. And my
2: cats all love that. Like my veterinary staff is amazing. I've worked with all of them at, at a previous practice when I was working in GP. I love and trust them to the fullest, but it depletes me emotionally <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so much. So yeah. I'm aware that I, you know, And also things may happen where we need additional diagnostics. And in that moment, that may be best for us to do right now, depending on which animal. Because again, if your cat is getting more and more stressed, we may have you come back. But in most cases, my cats do really well at the vet because we've worked on cooperative care. So if additional diagnostics are needed, I'm like, yeah, based on exam findings and things like that, because we can't say for sure everything that we're going to find right, as veterinary professionals. So then, I have time to get what. Let's say I need radiographs or or X rays. Essentially, yeah. I can sedate my cat and have time and not worry about panicking to get somewhere. And it does. That's one small thing as a caregiver you can do.
3: Easily. Yeah, give your give your give yourself grace. Like give yeah. yourself grace that day, and like acknowledge that it's going to be a stressful day. But there is, and if you can take a personal day off do it or carve that time uh so you can have like before and after so you're not rushing because when you're rushing then things start falling apart right we have a question Mm -hmm. so for cats that are not food motivated what do you recommend to medicate without doing a lot of invasive touching um uh, for example holding the head to pill using syringes etc
2: so i'll be honest i don't Pill many, like physically pill many cats, um, but I do teach clients how to do that, and that could look different ways. Um, but I recently have, well, I'm working with a cat right now. His name's Pete. I recently made a post about him, um, and he was referred by an amazing veterinary behaviorist. He had chronic, he has chronic anxiety, and he was generalizing the stress with meds to not just when they come out, but outside of that. Um, so in the moment we started working towards some of these things and we tried around with food reinforcers, right? We have to find what's reinforcing to the learner first. And we all know that food is a primary reinforcer, meaning it's reinforcing to all living creatures because we need it to live. So if they aren't eating, that's just data that tells us they might like for Pete, he had, he has generalized anxiety. So the likelihood that his anxiety was causing him not to be comfortable with eating different treats is high, but I may also look at the environment or what traits I'm using. So just that in mind, but for him, he really liked to go outside for walks. So this was a very, you got to get creative with training everybody. Um, because many of you (laughs) probably won't have to do this, um, because play, he plays now. Um, but even play was a little challenging for him due to his anxiety, which we are, he working on addressing, and now he's getting his meds consistently and lots of beautiful stuff but he loved going outside and interacting with the grass so I was like all right I gotta get creative so I started doing set enrichment as his reinforcer um so they would utilize considerate approach um we we I had the caregiver like take the meds out and put them away so they didn't just come out. Just There was a lot of little steps that made a really big difference. Um, so I had them utilize considered approach. If he was actively like wiggling hard, they would let go and stop because his meds were SID once a day. So realistically in the moment we could go back, right? Yep. Um, and they would use consider approach, they would medicate him and then they would give him different scent enrichment. So sometimes it was a cat plant um, sometimes it was silver vine or some other type of scent enrichment, but we utilized that after because we couldn't break it down into small steps, which I would ideally like to do and reinforce it each step because Pete was in the, he, once I started working with him, he was needing his meds. It was beyond yeah. like, that's so, cause a lot of people are like, Tabitha, well, this doesn't work. I'm like, yes, it does. I work with, <laughs> with cats who are actively needing the meds and yeah utilizing considered approach and some other things. And now he's at the point he used to actively walk away and he would stay in the room. Like when we started, he would actively walk away and leave the room. Then he would actively walk away as soon as they were done, which is fine. We're doing our best and stay in the room. Now he stops and he comes to the caregivers after the meds, he stays there and interacts and actually plays. But again, we, we've worked. So there's a lot of different reinforcers. Like I utilize play when we were doing another cat where we, we found a shoelace. So this was a high value, like shoelaces just move like prey. Even if humans don't know anything about how prey move and we put it under a towel to make it even more excited, exciting or crinkle paper. And after, after he got his medications, we would do a 10 to 15 minute crinkle paper shoelace monitored because that would go up. Of course, no foreign bodies and Tabitha's watch. But that was his reinforcer after his medication. So you probably can think of now that we're talking lots of different things, your cat's like, but with Pete, I'll be honest, I had to really get creative and we had to work together to find a reinforcer for him in that moment. And now he has tons, but to start, we had to get really Creative, and I had to get a lot more data from the amazing caregivers to find something that he liked enough in that moment. That's a great question, though.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind, of, kind of, I think most of the time when we're seeing the videos of medicating cats with pills, it's the, you know, it's the little gel capsules, towel, and it's like, how? Are we it's not, he's not eating. How is he going to even eat the capsule? Right. So, so, so this is, and then there is the cats that are, that, that have medical conditions that, that kind of make them, their food drive low and their appetite right. low. If
2: So, if there's GI issues, like if they're nauseous, like things that, even if the cat doesn't have chronic stress, which a lot of the cats that I happen to work with just happen yeah. to because of my background, that's a really good point. And another thing that's really helpful is, For example, most behavior consultants and caregivers don't, they aren't vet techs. So like these are things that I've learned a lot over the years where I think the way I maybe taught a caregiver to do something 15 years ago where I showed them one time, I realized that that wasn't ideal. Um, So a lot of the times I'll actually, I have these beautiful stuffed cats um, and I'll have the caregiver like, cause there's a specific type of holds a C hold. So I, we practice fake medicating. So you see, this isn't happening, but um we practice fake medicating, uh fake cat so they can get familiar with the techniques versus, Hey, you've never given a medication before you've never held a pill gun. So for example, if I'm utilizing that as a tool, which I do in some cases, the client practices with the pill gun without the cat first. And these are things I never thought of 15 years ago. And now I'm like, duh. And then they feel so much more confident when it comes to actually medicating the moving cat because even if yeah. the cat chooses to come to you, they may move a little bit and we may stabilize them with some of the techniques we mentioned, like a small hand here or this, or again, let's say I'm a towel. I just briefly wrap it here. So it's super loose out here. There's a lot of, so we're stabilizing, but again, we're not, restraining, which is a very different, right? When we personally- <laughs> I'm defining as restraining because it looks different, right? My definition of restraining is like holding the animal still forcefully, Mm -hmm. which is what we want to ideally get away from.
3: Uh, Unless they love it like sunny. Right,
2: because that causes the cat to panic more Mm -hmm. understandably and escalates fear and stress. And it's just not good for anybody.
3: Okay, so that was my question because, like, medication, medicating. I think this, this, this is what comes up most yeah. often, like in yeah. my, in my cases, and, um, uh, and sometimes I find myself like, uh, let me think about it and let's check Tabitha's videos, uh, yeah, uh,
1: Laura. No, I was just thinking how it's like, it's a skill in itself to be able to break it down in all of those little pieces because so, so often, I'm still bad at this, I'm getting better, but like, you know, when you know something really, really, really well, you forget how little other people know about the topic. So yeah, things like, here's here's what a pill gun is.
2: Yes, we're um. gonna. I, I'm going to have you place <laughs> a treat- For example, I have a lot of my clients in some cases, right? We might, because I do preventative medication training because I'm a nerd and I think it's very important and it's very easy to teach preventatively from the caregiver's perspective and the cats. And then it's a helpful skill. So I might say, hey, here's a a pill gun. Um, We're gonna practice, you're gonna hold it, you're gonna utilize it blah, blah, blah. I have them give me a fake treat. It's fun. Cause mm-hmm. I'm weird. Uh, and then I have them pill their cat. So I have them give their cat a treat like for coming or come walking towards them because they might walk towards their cat. So essentially they're getting a treat for being in front of them. And then I have them pill their cat with a treat. And then I have them follow up with a treat. So again, it's not, Hey, this pill tastes gross. And that's another thing. I mean, there's so many tips and tricks about pills out there. Yeah. Like putting them in capsules is very helpful for dogs too. There are certain drugs that just taste like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to take flagell as a human and which is metronidazole, which is something that's commonly prescribed to dogs. It's prescribed to cats in some context. Um, but I almost didn't finish it. And I'm an adult that knows mm-hmm. better. And I know how drugs work. Cause I'm a vet tech. I threw up and gagged almost every time I had to take it. So now anytime a client's like my dog's on blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we're putting it in a capsule. Yeah. <laughs> like that is a horrible tasting. Like I, I have an aversion, like just thinking about when I had to take Flagyl, my heart rate's going up. Okay.
3: Like, have, a, have, a, was... have a drink of tea. Have a drink of tea while I'm going to read you another question. Oh yeah. Go. All right. Okay. Uh, so Sandra and Sandra, different Sandra, Sandra, Sandra Nugent, uh, uh, I'm not a behaviorist, but it interests me greatly. I uh, volunteer at the rescue sanctuary for cats who are at various stages, ranges of, um, who, bleh, sorry, who are various ranges of uh, unsocialized. I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning, people. Uh, the person who runs the facility only picks up cats by scruffing them, then carrying them by the scruff. I know that's the worst way to do it, but that's all she knows can you give me examples on how to get a cat who is in an enclosure with other cats or out of a cage crate?
2: So I, like if the cat, so this understandably, scruffing a cat's one thing, transporting a cat while scruffing them is, that isn't something a lot of us are taught. That is, that is something where I have to, you know, I'm all about meeting people where they're at, but that is something that just we aren't taught to do that, and that should not be done. We should and not. I'm be-
3: assuming it's holding by a scruff and, and then the Yeah, cat, but, um, not just but again, many
2: of us were taught to scruff cats. So in that context, yeah. yes. So let's say I have to medicate a cat that's in a a cage. Now it depends on a lot of factors, right? Are they in a larger setup with multiple cats, right? Um, how are those cats relationships with each other? Cause I may choose to just squeeze in there and medicate the cat there, or I may choose like if there's tension between cats for multiple reasons, I'm going to remove that cat and medicate them in a calmer place, whether it's a bathroom or a lot of shelters have spaces that you'd be surprised that are quiet and enclosed that it could be a closet. Trust me. I I've been around the block. Um, But as far as transporting, in many cases, I would say, don't take them out. In most to all cases, I would just medicate them where they're at. Um, Because as you can imagine, there's some safety, just Mm -hmm. not just stress, but there's some safety risks with having to transport them out. And if there are some issues, maybe the space or there is tension between cats, that's helpful data where I'm like, if this cat needs to be medicated every day, this is probably not the best setup for this specific cat. Can we set up a specific cage or different setting? Um, I've worked at shelters where we've literally like rigged stuff up. (laughs) Um, So I've worked with shelters with all different resources. um, And that tells me like, this cat needs to be medicated every day. We need the staff to be able to safely do this. let's maybe transport this cat to a specific place. And that's where they will be staying now. Ideally, we wouldn't be taking a cat out every time we have to medicate them because understandably that can cause a lot of stress. It puts a lot of people and the cat at risk to get out. Um, But if I wanted to remove a cat for like x-rays or an exam, um, or maybe an injection or or something like that. Just
3: moving them to a different place or just- Yeah, in those cases, if a cat
2: is exhibiting, and this is where body language is everything, right? Yeah. If a cat's exhibiting signs of fear and stress, um, I would most likely use a very loose towel handling technique or ideally that there's hiding places, right? Hiding places for cats every time, no matter what. They hide as a natural coping mechanism. We need- to provide those. That is not a choice. That is a need. So in many cases, especially if the cat's fearful, they're already be in the box. So can I just place a towel over it and transport them like
3: that? Yes, I can. Um is like perfect, right? Because they're already in the thingy and they feel so a lot the of the thingy. cats
2: now if the cat's exhibiting minimal signs of stress, I may use like a churu or like a as different, I like churu because it's not attached to your hand, right? So even with relaxed cats, I don't put my I'm smart. I'm a handler. I don't put my hand in cats' faces. So I like a churu even with the relaxed cat because I have some distance and I'm gonna use that. And then I'm gonna just essentially grab the cat, right? Make sure I'm supporting them from the bottom and the top. And then I'm using churu as we walk through. But again, ideally we wouldn't just be walking. Again, this is where safety comes in. Like if I saw a technician Transporting a cat through a vet practice, just like do 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 with all the stimuli and stuff, I'd be like, "What is this? Is unsafe? <laughs> this is." Let's talk about how else we could do that. But, but you can- those are a few things and yeah. amazing. I love that you're volunteering. You're awesome, and that you're here learning more. I have to click treat you. Hopefully, verbal praise is reinforcing <laughs> for
3: you. Um, and I think you can you can also use that churu to to, to hopefully kind of get the cat sure. they are not like super fray fred, get them to the front of that enclosure or that crate. So you can so, medicate it easier yeah. or or even to get them to go into into another carrier or get them out um in a or put them in that little loose towel or, or get them out to to get them like this. So you don't have to like reaching in, into the crate with your hands. I mean, this is scary, right? Yeah. And it puts, again- It puts you at risk. It
2: puts you at risk. Like all of these things I recommend also help humans (laughs) because I love you guys too. So it's not only are we decreasing stress and fear for the cat, but also unfortunately, in many of the, the ways we're taught to restrain, right? We talked about that language earlier we're actually taught to put ourselves at risk pretty severely and not it's just not safe so when we're addressing fear and anxiety it also tends to be safer for us
3: as well so sandra just clar- clarified she's saying many of the cats were feral and v- at various shelters and at risk of being euthanized and her facility transfers to barns
2: so okay in that case that's completely okay. different, right if these cats are truly feral then
1: you should not be touching them whatsoever. Yeah,
2: we should not. So that's 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 a whole separate thing, right? That's a whole that is a whole separate thing that we probably can't get too into. Um, but if the cats are truly feral, it is very unsafe and inappropriate to be handling them in any way, especially as a non-skilled handler, which again, handling isn't treated as a skill. So I don't mean this as an insult, but I wasn't taught any handling skills and I am a vet tech. I was taught one that I don't use anymore. So in many cases, many of us aren't given a lot of tools to be successful. And with a feral cat, let's say they do need oral medications. um, We have to change up our, like from a diagnostic medical standpoint, I work with feral cats and I'm going to change my approach and utilize different drugs and utilize different medications because you cannot orally medicate that cat in most cases, every day, can you work with someone like me where I do in depth behavior mod and I can work with feral cats and give you techniques to do behavior modification that only takes a minute or two a day that can then help that cat take medications without you really being a part of it? Yes, but um, in most cases we shouldn't be, as as Laura said, um, it's if you have truly feral cats, right? if we're defining them as truly feral and not we're doing that, um, then we shouldn't just be handling them. Cause even if you're a skill handler, we have to change. It's not the way I treat a feral cat medically and, or, um, behaviorally is going to be different than the way I treat a shelter, like a, a shelter cat or domestic, you know, a socialized,
1: yeah. It's essentially yeah. like reaching into a cage and grabbing a raccoon by the scruff and carrying it. But, but
2: if you which are I, safe, I care about you, don't do that.
1: Which, which is not a smart thing, even if you are a very skilled handler.
2: <laughs> no, That's what I'm saying. Like, and if we do need thorough diagnostics, like that's why we sedate animals. I've worked in spay and neuter clinics. And when we're doing TNR, that You probably recognize that we use traps and that we sedate the animal in the cage, not only from a safety standpoint, but also that is the least amount of stress that we can cause that cat, right? Yeah. We're doing our best to minimize, you know, least intrusive, minimally aversive, um, sedating yeah. them in the trap. Or, you know, if you have a mesh carrier or, or something like that, we're, we're sedating them for that, th- that those x-rays or blood work or... That yeah. wound cleanup or whatever it may look like.
3: Yeah, and you know, like if you if if you have space to put those uh, uh, hiding places in the enclosures where where those cats already are, when you approach it, yeah, that might be the place where they go. They go to those enclosures, and if those enclosures are actually already are years, if you have space,
2: yeah, like the feral that, cat dens are great. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I was going to probably say. have those at your shelter. Those are. There's a lot, again, there's a lot of cool tools we can use, but that's, I'm glad you clarified because I'm sure those other tips are helpful too, but it is a kind of completely different situation with that context in mind.
1: A lot of times, if you put the feral dens in the cages, they will just be in there and then you can just shut the door very safely. Um, So even if they're not truly feral, um, that that is how I did a lot of my work with fearful cats at the shelter those things are a godsend
3: yeah yeah um uh, Sandra's saying it's not the best situation i agree they all get ra- rabies vaccines sent the vet and flea ma- meds monthly um i mean yeah, i would i would, with I would like, ask
2: with the flea meds profender there's a lot of topical i could give you like considered a pro there's a lot of tools like Ken Ramirez, who's this amazing trainer, says good training is the foundations really, really well, knowing those. And I use that with handling. I know the foundations really, really well. I know I know how to assess body language. I know how to utilize a considerate approach. I know how to touch animals in the least stressful way. I know plenty of handling skills and I know those really, really well. So it helps me apply it to everything. So I think. Like for example, there are creative ways we can apply a topical to a feral cat realistically in a safe, less stressful way, um, without her hands being in their face. Uh, or a rabies vaccine. Again, there's a lot of creative ways, but the idea of like legit just, hey, I have to give you medications every day, we're gonna come up with a completely different plan for that specific situation.
1: Ooh, this is uh, kind of... stress.
3: I know. <laughs> so we've got, we've got we've got like eight minutes before we have to go or seven minutes before we have to go. Uh,
1: There was one more question from the other Sandra that I think we missed. So it's, how do you approach clients who think forcing medication is the only way and introduce them to cooperative care and fear-free?
2: So I would kind of change your frame of thinking, right? They don't necessarily think it's the only way. They only know it as that way right? So um, in many cases, I start talking about medication training in every consult I've ever worked before medications are even indicated. Um, if they they may not be, but I still start that conversation. Um, because in many cases, we're as behavior consultants, we are recommending veterinary visits to rule out and address medical issues. I know many of us are doing that, which is great. But I'm not going to say go to the vet, I'm going to say, I know it could be really stressful to go to the vet like i say it before they even say it and i'm like so i do want you to go to the vet but i'm going to help you to decrease the stress associated with going so i kind of like am addressing it before they even mention it or they may feel more cash about it like oh my cat hates the vet but that's all they know and they think that we've kind of normalized fear right and part of it is conflict like they don't know what else to do so in many cases i'll say um i know he needs the medication cuz that's the other thing you can't Now, in some cases, I work with the vet that's more complex, but you can't just say you can't give the meds, right? So you can't just say you can't give the meds. I don't want you to be forceful, but we're going to teach them. I need you to provide them with solutions immediately, right? This is how we could decrease the stress. You have to give the meds. This is what we could do in the moment right now, right? And then we could work towards continuing, essentially teaching cooperative care. Um, But also I think sometimes showing them videos um, Mm because I think kind of like, you know, I hardly hear this anymore, but I used to hear like five years ago, cats can't be trained. Again, I barely hear that anymore. Um, So I used to show them videos of me training a tiger and a fish um, first. And they would then be like, Mm -hmm. Um, and it also gets value in me, which- you're valuable as a behavior consultant. Um, So it has to build value and trust in you, but also then they're like, oh shit, this is just a cat. This isn't a tiger. (laughs) Like I- Sandra is actually a vet. Oh, oh, you are a vet, even better. She Um, is a vet, yeah. Context. So in those cases, oh, you have so much power, you amazing veterinarian. Um, (laughs) She's a cat-friendly certified vet doing house visits. So in those cases, you have a lot of power Um, even more so than a behavior consultant. Um, Because you can say, we've done a great job diagnosing and addressing this as the veterinarian, but I also understand you need to get the medications in. And I just address that it's challenging before they even tell me, because they might not be comfortable in telling me how challenging it is. So I know it is. So you're, you're helping to address that issue ahead of time by being like, I know in many cases, it can be really challenging to medicate a cat. The good news is, We've learned a lot about tips and and tricks and I can share them with you right now. And that's where I think showing them videos can be really helpful. Actually medicating their cat can be helpful too. But I think showing them videos and then having them practice on like kind of some of the stuff I've been talking about on a stuffed cat um, helps to get that buy-in. Cause I I hear what you're saying, but once you get that buy-in, once they see three or four cats, happily taking their medications in different contexts, you you already kind of see them start to like think and soften a little bit, and then you get that buy-in. So they're more open. And then I think giving them practical tips right away. So yes, cooperative care, training, stationing, all of that stuff is awesome. But I give my clients things right away that they could start to do right away in the second, that day. Yeah to decrease stress. So I think that will also help to get some buy-in. And also thank you for being here. You amazing veterinarian.
3: I also feel like, I just want to also like, um, tell you that people, clients have so much more uh, trust in you as a veterinarian, utilize that, like use it because they, they as a, as a veterinarian, you already are there for them. Yeah. You know, as opposed to like a behavior consultant where they, so, so, so I've, that's, I mean, it's awesome. And it's awesome, you know, doing just cat friendly and at home.
2: And you can have something like I work with vets where I have videos of, um cause again, I understand how humans work. So they might be one to two minute videos that I've already mm-hmm. made and the vet then puts on their website. So mm-hmm. it's just there right? So you can easily like when the client's calling to make an appointment, whether it's you or your, you probably have a CSR, right? Scheduling appointments, they can refer them to that ahead of time. Um, sharing things on your own social media. I share like pain resources for the general public, also veterinary professionals and medication things. And the amount of people who aren't even my clients who have emailed me and said, I recognize pain in my cat because of you. Or, and all I did was do social media posts. So if you have a social media presence as a business, those are like things you can start planting right away. So you're kind of already building that culture, kind of like cat friendly, right? You're already building that. I'm not going to restrain. I'm not going to traditionally restrain your cat. And people are probably seeking you out because of that.
3: And one more thing, one more thing, if you have permission from your clients, so if you have videos of your clients doing that, that's even more valuable because mm-hmm. you because people will go, Oh yeah, you know, you, 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 you a turner, you, you, you're a trainer, you, whatever you've worked with your animals. So, yeah. but if you show them, Hey, this is a client, this is a client team that I've worked with and this is what we got. So this is kind of more like people like me um uh, being able to do it so it's it's another level of my end too 100
1: all right well we have to wrap it up unfortunately
3: awesome um, I mean we could stay here the whole afternoon but we can't but. Yeah, we can't <laughs> but so, thank you guys
2: for having me I really appreciate it yeah thank oh, wait, you, 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 you
3: come back here so you know <laughs> and it's if not you to,
1: if you want to check out Tabitha's stuff it's mm-hmm. chirps and chatter. Go I've already put the website. Yeah. Like, it's yes, marketing on the fa- on the Thank Facebook. You, and and yeah, thanks so much, guys. Have a good afternoon, weekend. And we'll see you next month. Next month, we're going to be talking about what is it, strategies for handling fearful cats. That was last there month. There you
3: go, Sandra. For you.
1: Yeah. Perfect. So come, come back for next suck. month. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks, bye. If you're gonna teach me, teach me Force free
3: People can be good and kind And that's a great philosophy I can flourish, I can learn If you just Show me, guide me, be my friend and train me happy
1: I can be the best dog I can be if you believe in me And If you're gonna teach me, teach me for free If you're gonna teach me, teach me for. free